Hello, everybody. It's Mittens with another episode of Supernatural George. I am back post-Gish week, and it feels like it's been a million years since I've made one of these, so hopefully I haven't, like, completely forgotten how to be reasonable and, and, I don't know, think through what I'm saying as I speak. That's a weird skill that I still am probably working on developing, but hey, three weeks off and... Uh, let's see how we do getting back into this. Today's episode is season one, episode 19, Provenance, written by David Ehrman, E-H-R-M-A-N, Ehrman, I think. This is the only episode he ever wrote of Supernatural. It's an interesting one. And directed by Phil Scratia. This is his second episode for Supernatural. We know he will go on to direct like 40, I think something episodes lots after so many episodes in a row where I keep thinking oh gosh we're getting a Sam centric episode we're finally going to be delving into Sam a bit more we're going to learn some more about his backstory and then it ends up being all about Dean or just going into an episode knowing yep this is a heavy Dean one like last the last episode was something wicked it's it feels like oh gosh yes this one is about Sam Sam is the He's the one who deals the most with Sarah Blake in this episode. We see, we start to learn a little bit about his emotional state post Jess and how he feels about the, even the thought of a relationship with anybody and how he feels about himself being cursed and everything. And it's like, Dean sort of feels like a little bit background in this episode on first glance, but so much of this and how Dean treats Sam and how Dean tries to support Sam and all of this and even just the way he kind of in a silly kind of way pushes Sam towards Sarah and pushes the relationship there on Sam like encouraging him to do that it's something we will see about Dean as a person throughout the entire series and how he has spent his whole life trying to prop Sam up like being there for Sam and lifting Sam up in ways that Dean will would never even think to do for himself, like seeking out this relationship would be good for you kind of deal, like telling Sam things like that. So this episode on the on first glance looks like it's rather dismissive of Dean, but I find that there's a lot of good stuff about Dean in this episode as well. Even though we do finally get a little bit more information about Sam's emotional state and the fallout from everything that happened to him in the pilot episode, which the show has just kind of not really dealt with much since then. I mean, Sam's driving force through most of season one is finding John so that they can get revenge for what happened, but we don't really see him deal with it emotionally it's basically vengeance driven on his part like getting back at the thing that hurt him you know it's it's not even really been about Jess specifically it's been about his mission in reaction to losing her so finally getting a little bit more about Sam here even though it just comes in drips and drabs for Sam and we don't really get his emotional state the way we get Dean's It's just portrayed differently and unfolds differently for us. We're we're seeing it more from Dean's perspective, from an outsider perspective of someone who loves Sam and would do anything for him and would do anything to protect him. So that's kind of the 
view into Sam's emotional state that we get. So it's still important to understand Dean's emotional state in order to understand why Dean relates to him this way, why Dean is so protective of him, and to understand that Dean's not just being an ass to Sam here. He genuinely wants Sam to be okay, and he's doing the best he can to to make that happen, like he's been doing since he was four years old. I think the only interesting like production minutiae is that Jodie Furland, the actress who played Melanie Merchant, the little girl doing all the evil in this episode, was on Supernatural again in season 15, episode 6, Golden Time. She played the youngest sister witch that was trying to kill Sam in uh, Rowena's apartment. They ended up in their massive battle with that family of witches. That said, this episode, I don't know if it's just my DVD or what, but there is no then segment in the intro to the episode. It jumps right into a close-up shot of the painting of the, the family that is the central focus of this entire episode, the haunted painting. A clearly wealthy couple has just come back from an auction they bought this awful painting and have hung it over their fireplace in their living room and they're in good spirits and like flirty with each other and making out and like the husband's like yeah I'll be right upstairs I'm just gonna lock up the house and the wife goes upstairs and gets ready for bed puts on her sexy nighty and gets a candle out and the husband hears something weird and looks around and determines that it's nothing to worry about and goes upstairs. But we we are shown a close-up shot of the family in this painting. The father, the wife, the children, and a lingering shot on a straight razor on a table in the painting. Like, it seems like a weird detail to put in a family portrait. You know, a straight razor, <laughs> an open straight razor. It looks rather menacing and awful in this painting. And as this couple leaves the room, we we are shown that the father in the painting moves. His head moves and turns like he's looking around the room. It's creepy. It's a creepy painting. And it's clearly haunted or enchanted or something's up with this painting that even on first watch, you know from just the opening minute of the episode, hey, this painting's messed up. <laughs> this is the supernatural thing in the episode. So we've gotten no backstory on how this couple came to get this painting. We've gotten nothing to even indicate it's an episode of Supernatural except for the cinematography style that we've come to know and recognize as season one Supernatural aesthetics. And it could be anything at this point. We just don't know. There was no take your brother outside. There was none of that. It was nothing about Sam and Dean. Nope, nothing. Just this couple is about to get murdered. (laughs) which is a weird way to start an episode. As the man walks past this painting again, after he sets his alarm, his wife calls out to him to hurry up. They show, they focus in on that little corner of the painting where the straight razor had been. And it's gone now. As the husband walks upstairs, the candle in the bedroom flickers and goes out and we don't hear anything else. We don't hear a scream. We hear nothing. He gets upstairs and he's like, it's really dark in here. Turn on a light. And he has to turn it on himself. But when he bends over the bed, he gets his hand, touches something gross. 
and he lifts it up and turns the light on and sees his hands covered in blood and his wife has been her throat's been slashed and she's just covered in blood dead and he falls over backward like scream like is visibly upset by this but obviously as he's floundering on the floor he looks up and screams and we hear the slashing noise he's been killed too cut to the title card after the title card we find ourselves in a bar finally with sam and dean sam is sitting at a table with a couple of beers on the table already reading through the hudson valley beacon newspaper about a couple whose throats were slashed and dean is at the bar getting two more beers even though there's already two beers on the table i don't know what dean's thinking but he brings them over to the table. He's been flirting with a brandy with a Y, entering him her into his phone, telling her that, you know, he's a talent scout for some reality TV show or something. I don't even know why he bothers with the lie, because it's like, I don't think she cares. I think she's just attracted to him. Like, I don't think he needs to make up this lie, but he does anyway. I guess is a reason for why he's only in town for a day or whatever. Let's women know right up front that he's not going to stick around and be boyfriend material, I guess. I don't know. But whatever his reason for telling these lies, he has fun with it or whatever. So whatever. Everybody knows what they're getting into. This is just make-believe here for him. But Sam has actually found a case. Dean wants to stay the night in this little town, stay with this girl, even tries to hook Sam up with her friend. But he just wants to take a day off and just take a break. And Sam's like, well, I've found a case. When Dean says, I can hook you up with her friend, Sam replies, I can get my own dates. And Dean's like, yeah, but you don't. Meaning he hasn't seen Sam with anybody since they've been back on the road together. It's been months and months and months and months now. I mean, the closest he even got to having any sort of a relationship with a woman to this point was either... Lori from the Hookman episode or Meg before they found out she was evil or whatever in cahoots with the demon that killed their mother. So he, Sam doesn't really have a good track record for even just anything. But of course, he's still mourning Jess. His mission is kind of single minded and searching for her killer. So we can understand why he puts any sort of even hook up into the back burner. He's just not even interested. It doesn't interest him at all. So when Dean says that, but you don't, Sam just brushes it off and goes on to introduce the case, the murder that we just witnessed in the cold open. Meanwhile, Dean, with like four full beers on the table between him and Sam, is drinking his drink and watching some women walk past because he's there at this bar to have some fun for the night and Sam is the one who is trying to make it into work and being serious and trying to get Dean to focus. And it's like, gosh, I wonder if this is like the first night they've gone to a bar just to chill in a while. It kind of feels like it, like they finally got a night off after the last episode because they've made it all the way from where they were in Fitchburg, Wisconsin to upstate New York. Now, I don't know what what brought them to that area or why they chose to be there now but that's the newspaper sam's looking through and i assume it's a local paper so they've already driven to new york and now are hearing about this case like what took them there why were they there we don't know but to dean this was supposed to be an evening off to sam he's now the one who's like focused on work 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 no play at all if they can't find john they've got to at least do something 
Sam's lure to get Dean in on this case was that John had actually written about murders in this same town that followed the same pattern as the murder from our cold open. Family is killed in a locked house, throats slashed, and there was no way anybody could have gotten in or out. The alarm was on. Nobody could have gotten in and out of this house. So why did John have these three murders that spanned 70 years or 60 years notated in his journal on the same page altogether? One from 1912, one from the 40s, and one from like 1970. Why did John notice this pattern and nobody else did? Like what else is there about these cases that seems connected? And why didn't John notate what the connection between them was in the journal? They're just three random murders in a town, even though they had the same MO, the same type of murder, like the throat slashing. And like, why did he connect them? Did he know about the painting and just not include it in there? Like that all three of these families had the same painting? Why didn't he get that connection? If he got enough details about this case to note those three things, why not follow through and get one more step that Sam and Dean get to do in this episode? One more step would have led them to this painting and that all three people owned this painting. How great a hunter was John? I mean, he found that weird ass pattern and just decided not to leave the clue. So there's there's a lot of things in this episode about misdirects, about missing information that as soon as that information is filled in, it shifts the entire picture. Like the whole episode from that opening scene, when we see the father in the painting move, we immediately think, Shit, it's that guy. That guy's haunting the painting. He would be the one who owned a straight razor of all the people in that painting. Not his wife, not the children. It would be the father that owns the razor to shave with. You know what I mean? But information is missing because we see him move. But we know from having seen this episode before that it is the little girl in the painting who's actually doing the killing. But that information is missing for us, the viewer. We don't see the little girl move in the painting. We don't see her empty spot in the painting until much later in the episode. Just like we don't see that connecting detail between what's written in John's journal. Because I don't think John even understood that that was the connection, that it wasn't just three mysterious locked room murders in one small town. Regardless, I just think that that's an important factor in this entire episode is that Once you have that missing piece of information, all of a sudden everything makes sense. So that's something I'm going to mention multiple times throughout this episode. Ah, here's the missing piece that fills it in and makes everything make sense. So Dean goes back to the two women he was talking to at the bar. Sam's clearly not interested. Dean's like, okay, I will do the case or whatever, but um, I'm going back to what I was working on over here with these women. He takes his beer and he goes back to the bar. The assumption is that he spent the night with both women because he wakes up and he's sleeping in the front seat of the car in front of the house with his sunglasses on looking pretty run down from a a night of fun or whatever. Like Sam had to drive him to where they are now. So Dean's clearly just hung over, passed out. He's tired. He's done. Dean spent the night with the women. Sam spent the night investigating. He did research on the Teleska family that were murdered in the cold open. He just swept their entire house with for EMF, got nothing. And there's nothing suspicious about their house, nothing suspicious about them as people that would have 
indicated that they were targets for a murder, but poor Dean. He got woke up with the horn honk. The weirdest thing Sam discovered about their house is that everything in their house is gone. No furniture, everything's gone. And that's a pretty weird thing to have happen immediately after they're killed. The police crime scene investigation was already done. They were only murdered a few days ago, apparently, and already their house has been emptied out and put up for auction at this very fancy place that we will discover is the place that they'd bought that painting the night they were murdered. In the parking lot, we see a bunch of really fancy cars as classical music plays, this very upscale, snooty, and on the front of the Rolls Royce parked there is a license plate that says The Crip, K-R-I-P, as a reference to Eric Kripke. (laughs) And uh, then the, the Impala pulls in next to all these extremely expensive cars, already looking a bit out of place. Yeah, the Impala's even looking dirty and dingy, like it needs to go through a car wash, but it's parked next to a little sparkly yellow Ferrari. So out of place in every way as Sam and Dean walk in wearing their regular hunter clothing. I think Dean's still wearing the outfit he slept in. And they're going into this super upscale auction house and they are just like entirely out of place. For all that Sam likes to, you know, talk about how he likes to push them to look the part, to dress the part, you know, they could have at least put on their fed suits for this. I mean, they still may not have passed as art dealers in their fed suits, but going in in his little hoodie and over a t-shirt and his little rumply jacket is really not art dealer level dress. They immediately draw suspicion of the owner of the gallery. And Dean is crude to him, calling him chuckles and mistaking him for the waiter at first, just snarfing quiches and asking for champagne. And like, I don't know why he's being so crass because they're going to get themselves kicked out for this kind of behavior. But it would have been easy for them to just put on the fake of like they've done this before they've passed themselves off as at least modestly professional sort of federal agent types like I think they could have pulled off at least we didn't wake up in these clothes we actually are at least somewhat respectable and may have earned a place on your guest list even though they could have done better than they did and and it just seems a little weird and I I chalked that bit up to Yes, this person only wrote this one episode of Supernatural, and uh, it's kind of odd that they tried so little to blend in after we've seen Sam try so hard with, like, with the jumpsuits back in, in Shadow, like, getting the Alarm Company jumpsuits or getting their Fed badges, even back in, like, episode four, Phantom Traveler, when they got their Fed suits for the first time. They can do better than this. They know that this is not cool. They're in a hurry, obviously, to see what's at the at the auction before everything sells. So maybe they that's why they rushed. I don't know, but I, I can't find a good explanation for it. So they're looking through all the Teleska's junk as quickly as they can, because now they kind of know they're going to get kicked out any minute now. Or at least Sam should if he doesn't. This guy already doubts that you're art dealers. He's not going to just let you continue browsing the wares like y'all look like street urchins compared to the sort of people who are on his guest list. Just as Sam and Dean find the haunted painting, Sarah Blake comes down the stairs quizzing Sam about 
his art knowledge. And Sam, thank goodness, took one art history course in college and actually knew enough to reply to her in a way that made her realize, okay, well, this guy's not just a total jerk coming in here just to steal quiche like Dean kind of is. But they have a conversation. They have they clearly have some chemistry. Sam asked to see the provenance of the painting. And that's when Sarah's father comes back over and says, no, you're leaving. You're not on the guest list. Dean's like, okay, you don't have to tell us twice. And guy's like, apparently I do because you're still here. (laughs) And they leave. Sam is now doubly suspicious of that painting. They find a hotel room that for whatever reason is decorated in a disco theme, like 1970s all the way. One little interesting thing I know about the filming of this scene is that Jensen and Jared had not seen the inside of this motel room until they opened the door and were filming live like they had cameras set up inside the room to film their reaction to this room. So what you see, the reaction you see on their faces when they open that door is Jensen and Jared's reaction to this motel room. And I I just think that's hilarious. It's like somebody told the budget department for this episode, well, this one's about an art auction and this upscale thing, and we need to have all these sets and this crypt set and the art house, uh, the auction house set. And and they were like, oh, well, this one's going to be budget breaking. So here, Jerry Wanick, you just take the whole budget for this episode and do whatever you want with it. And he chose to do this motel room. And it's just amazing. It's all circles and squares, black and white, very glossy and disco, like (laughs) shiny things everywhere and disco. It's kind of the contrast between Sam and Dean in this episode, circles and squares, black and white, Dean fits right in in that grimy bar they were at and and mingles with all the lovely people there. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just his scene. And Sam likes to think that the art house, the auction house, the cultured society is his own scene. You know, that's what he was going to college for. He wanted to be a lawyer. He wanted to live in that society. This whole class structure thing, the the struggle that they have of being, you know, Dean is fine living on gambling winnings and credit card fraud. And Sam knows the difference between Grant Wood and Grandma Moses, like not because he's interested in that, but because he tells Dean it was a good way to pick up chicks taking art history class in college. And so, yeah, Sam does have his own game on the system the same way Dean does. He's just not interested in that right now. It's interesting that for all of his upward mobility and how much he wishes he fit into that society, he still didn't bother to put on the suit. He had the words right. All the words that were coming out of his mouth were right. But just one look at him and you're like, no, this guy doesn't belong here. He doesn't fit here. It's a nice jarring contrast in this case because as awkward as it feels like, God, these guys should just know better about how to blend in in a circumstance. It feels deliberate in this episode, considering how much money they put into setting up a whole auction house set and making this disco motel room a thing. The bar, the Teleska's house, the other woman's house where, you know, the low sodium freaks live, the crypt, the antique stealer or whoever it is that they go look through old newspapers or something trying to find the history of this piece of art and 
like, there's a lot of sets in this episode, a lot of intricate sets in this episode. And yet they didn't even have the budget for their fed suits. No, no. It feels very intentional. Like Sam and Dean, like Dean knows his place. He knows that, you know, he doesn't belong in this auction house and he doesn't do anything to try and fit in, even though we know he's perfectly capable of at least playing at having manners. You know, he's not just this guy who, you know, schmooze can schmooze in a bar. He could schmooze in the rich and fancy place too. He doesn't even make an effort either. So it's just the way he thinks about these people. He just doesn't care what they think of him. Sam cares what they think of him. But again, still not enough to put on the suit. Sam insists that Dean should be the one to get the information out of her, like maybe he can get it on a cocktail napkin. But Dean's like, nope, you, she's the, you're the one she was checking out and eyeing up and you're the one she's interested in. So, and he's like, what, you want me to use her for information? Like Sam is all of a sudden looking down on, on the idea of using somebody for information as if they both didn't do it all the time. But it usually falls on Dean. That's usually Dean's role is the one, you know, he's the one who hits on women so easily or hits on anybody so easily, really. But he's the one who usually has that sort of charm to wheedle information out of people. It doesn't bother him, at least on the surface level. He seems to even enjoy it. But Sam hasn't. We haven't seen him interact with people in that way, in that specific way of flirting information out of them. Like I said, you know, when he was with Lori and Hookman, it was more of them just talking and bonding as people, not him trying to like come on to her or anything. But now he's got to flirt and he's got to keep up this charade of being an art dealer or being interested in art even to take Sarah out on a date. He's not comfortable with that the way Dean is just making up a lie about who he is. Although in the weirdest way, that's exactly what Sam did for four years at Stanford. He made up a lie about who he was, denied everything about the reality of his, of his life and was in an, an intense enough relationship to live with Jess without her knowing anything about his life. So Clearly, Sam's reservations in, quote unquote, using people for information is not something he's connected up to. This is exactly what his life was like with Jess, except on a more permanent level, he hoped. But Sam, kind of knowing this world a little bit, picks a very fancy restaurant to take Sarah to. And even she, you know, she fits right in there. She looks classy and nice, and he finally put on a suit. But neither of them is truly comfortable there. So Sam, poor Sam is struggling with the wine list at this very fancy restaurant. And Sarah has pity on him and says, I don't know about Romeo here, but I'd like a beer. And Sam says, yeah, me too. It puts them both at ease, which good because Sam needs to be at ease here to be able to get information from her. Much as he likes her as a person from the very little he knows about her, he still needs information. They need to figure out why these murders are happening. Sarah tells Sam a story about her mother having died about a year ago, and that's why she hasn't been on a date in a long time, because she'd put herself inside a nice, warm, safe shell, she describes it as. And when she asks Sam why he hasn't been out dating, he's 
unable to answer. She lets it go. She doesn't push him for an answer. The next scene we see is cut back to the motel. Sam's back from his date. Dean's sitting on his bed sharpening a knife. Sam has the provenances of all the art in the Teleska estate that he needed to get from Sarah. She just gave it to him. Dean's like, what, you didn't even have to, like, lie to her, manipulate her or anything? And Sam's just, she just handed it over and Sam's just like, yeah. Through the provenances that Sarah gave Sam, they identified the painting. Dean is just like, we could stick around for a few days so you could take take her out again. It's obvious you like her and, you know, you could have some fun with her. Why don't you do that? And Sam's just like, no, can we just get focused back on this? And he's found the connection between all the murders in their father's journal were owners of this painting who died shortly after getting it. Then it was locked away for like 40 years and finally just brought out for this auction. The Telescas buy it and die the same night. Now it's being re-auctioned again. And Sam and Dean are going to stop that from happening. They're breaking into the auction house. They cut the picture from its frame and take it out and burn it. Except that doesn't necessarily stop their problem. That doesn't, it's not just the painting. As the painting burns, it reappears back in its frame in the gallery. The next morning, Sam and Dean don't know this yet, and Dean comes out and insists that his wallet is missing and that they need to go back to the auction house and find it because it's got his real fake ID in there. Sam's just like, oh, God. Did Dean really lose his wallet, or did he just want Sam to have to confront Sarah one more time? Because he he spends the entire time there, there pushing Sam at Sarah. Oh, yeah, we can stay another day. We're going to be here for at least another day. And Sam's like, oh, no, no, we're leaving now. Sorry. Goodbye. Until Sam sees the painting awkwardly back in its frame. And it makes a ridiculous exclamation at being caught off guard by seeing it again because they burned it. And (laughs) that painting, it looks so good. Like, that is the most awkward thing he could have possibly said. (laughs) But... But he said it because now I get to make fun of him for it. And then as soon as Sarah comes and starts talking to Sam and Sam tries to say, oh, yeah, we're leaving. Dean pulls his wallet out of his pocket, walks up to Sam, makes a show of pulling his wallet out and giving Sam the quote $20 he owes him, showing that, yes, this was his ploy all along just to get Sam to talk to Sarah again. He's pushing Sam at her and he sees that she makes him happy just on this level of personal chemistry has nothing to do with the case. They think the case is solved. They think they, they're safe to leave town and Sam won't even realize he tries keeps trying to insist. No, we're leaving. We're leaving. We're really leaving. He's just saying that. And then he sees the painting and they have to stay. Poor awkward. Sam is not good at surprise transitions. So Sam awkwardly excuses himself from Sarah, promises to talk to her later, and runs out to tell Dean that the painting exists again after they burned it. They realize that they have more research to do about the original family in the painting, that they need to find out what happened to them because they're probably the the ones haunting it. So they go to a historian-type person, cluttered bookshop and I'd I'd forgotten that this is the actor who 
will play the medical examiner in season five, episode 14, the one who unfortunately dies of alcohol overdose in that episode with famine. But he plays the medical examiner that Dean likes that you refrigerate your leftovers or whatever when he's leaving them there to look through the organs of the people he's autopsied. So, yeah, he plays this historian bookseller person. The newspaper that this man shows them was from the day that day after the Titanic sank. So it's like the second headline on the newspaper that day. The Titanic sinking was the first headline. Then Isaiah Merchant slaughtering his own whole family and then killing himself because apparently his wife was going to leave him and take the children. And this was 1912. So that sort of thing just didn't happen in those times, I guess. But he was a stern man who was cruel to his family. Apparently that's what the paper said and blamed the murders on him then he opens a book and shows them a f- the painting a photograph of the painting except it doesn't look like the painting they saw there's something different about it there's no straight razor on the on the table in the foreground and the painting on the wall behind the father is of a landscape of a mountain or something like that but in the p- t- painting in the gallery There's the straight razor on the table and the painting behind him is of a mausoleum. So Sam insists that the father's position in the painting changed. Dean wonders what else may have changed in the painting. Is the father coming out and, as Dean described, giving out Colombian neckties? But Sam's like, what, like the Da Vinci Code? Like following the clues in a painting to the to figure out the answer. And Dean's like, yeah, no, I'm waiting on the movie on that one because the movie was coming out like a month after this episode aired the first time, just for reference on time frame here. As far as they know, though, Sarah said that her father had promised not to sell the painting again. Dean thinks it's a great opportunity for Sam to go see Sarah again, refers to her as his girlfriend. And is like totally chill about this. He's like, yeah, we'll figure it out. It's safe. Nobody's going to get hurt because of it, because it's at the auction house warehouse. Can't hurt anybody there. Meanwhile, they don't know that Sarah's father was offered a substantial sum of money by somebody for the painting. I don't know why anybody would shell out a substantial sum of money for this painting. It's hideous, but apparently gruesome sells or just, I don't know. People got weird taste, (laughs) I guess. But somebody wanted this painting enough to buy it, and he sold it against Sarah's advice and wishes and common sense. But Dean finally lays a little bit of the facade of just being the pushy brother who's just trying to casually get his brother laid or whatever, because that's the front he puts on for it. But he gets it. He understands that part of this is about Jessica that Jess would want him to be happy and have fun once in a while. And first, Dean drops the the charade of just trying to be like, yeah, I want you to get laid because, you know, you'd be less grumpy or whatever. That doesn't fly with Sam. Of course, Dean didn't probably didn't think it would, but he doesn't want to have to talk about it because he doesn't want to push Sam into talking about it. He doesn't even push Sam into talking about it. He lets his own explanation serve as for Sam to either just deny or confirm. And Sam does confirm that, 
yes, Dean's right. Jess would want him to be happy, wouldn't want him to just be miserable and alone for the rest of his life. But Sam protests that they're just going to leave. Like, what's the point of starting a relationship with this woman? If I'm never going to see her again, we're just going to take off and go to the next hunt and still looking for dad and still looking for Jess's killer and mom's killer. And like, what's the point? I'm never going to have a chance to to actually have a relationship with her because I think Sam just hasn't ever really been interested in just one night stands, at least for the most part, that he is still getting over Jess, but I don't think he was the type of person to be like that before. Like, that's always been Dean's responsibility to handle. He's the one who gets information by flirting with people, by having one night stands with people. He's the one who lives like that and and has accepted it a long time ago. Sam thought he had something more. Sam thought he had a relationship with Jess. He thought he could be settled and normal and now he feels cursed and can't and doesn't see a point to it right now. And yeah, it's still part of the grieving process, but there's more to it than that. And Dean says his piece and then just lets it lay. And he's like, well, either way, you still have to call Sarah because we still need to see that painting again. So I'm, I'm sorry that I have to push you toward her, but you are the in in this one. She didn't come on to me. She didn't flirt with me. I can't do it. You have to. So unfortunately, Dean's partially just been trying to make this easier for Sam, knowing that this is the first time he's been in this circumstance since Jess died and that he's got to be the one to do it. So being casually dismissive of the whole endeavor for Dean has been his way of trying to help Sam cope with it because they need this information. They need this access and Sarah can give it to them far more easily than them breaking into the warehouse again. Unfortunately, though, the fact that Sam keeps walking back into her life has piqued her interest. She like Sam, they had a lovely date. She opened up to him in a way that she hadn't clearly in more than a year as well. And she's just interested in him. She's attracted to him and interested in him and doesn't have any idea yet what the weirdness of their lives are. But she might be the first woman that Sam's ever dated or had any sort of relationship with at all that actually knew what he did for his entire life. Jess never knew, and very few women that we'll ever see Sam with will actually know more than just the surface level of his life. Very few will ever know about hunting, and the ones that do know about hunting are either evil or monsters or die. (laughs) And it's like, until we get to Rowena, who starts out as evil and comes around to their side. I mean, Sam isn't very kind to her either, but I mean, she is a witch who's trying to kill them. So I can understand why the feeling that way. And then finally, Eileen, who is in the life, understands everything about the life. It's going to take years for Sam to even meet either one of them. So poor boy is going to struggle with this for a long time to come. But he sucks it up and calls Sarah back because they need to see the painting. And unfortunately, she has to tell Sam that her father sold it. This is now an emergency situation. They need to stop the person who's just bought this painting from dying. Can they get there in time? 
unfortunately, Sam's alarm over this information over the phone also piques Sarah's interest. And instead of just staying out of it like Sam advised her to, she comes and meets him because she's concerned, too, because she knows the woman who bought the painting. It's a friend of her or someone who at least she's acquainted with. We see the woman who bought the painting. She rests her glasses down on a side table and picks up her tea. And in the lenses of her glasses, we see the reflection of the razor pass by, like ghostly reflection of the razor that the painting moves behind over her shoulder. And of course, Sam and Dean are not able to get to her in time. And by the time they do get there, she's dead. When they walk in, the father in the painting is looking down at the stepdaughter, the adopted daughter in the painting, like glaring at her. And then when they look back up at the painting after discovering Evelyn has been killed, he's looking straight ahead like he's looking right at Sam and Dean and saying, yes, fix this. Like he couldn't protect people from this and he's just been suffering because he's the only one on the... He's the only other family member that wasn't cremated. So he's the only other one who's able to stay in this painting. The next morning, back at the motel room, Sam and Dean are investigating, doing everything they can to figure out how this painting is killing people. And Sarah turns up saying that, you know, she just lied to the cops for them and is willing to call them right back and tell them that, you know, she knows they they were responsible somehow if they don't explain what the hell is going on to her. So... Dean just looks up at Sam like, you can tell her the truth. You know, you didn't tell Jessica the truth. Are you going to tell this one the truth? And, you know, leaves it entirely up to Sam. Let Sam do all the talking. And he does. He tells her the truth of their lives and that they believe this painting is haunted. She thinks they're crazy at first, but she doesn't have another explanation. She's like, okay, well then I'm coming with you. I'm gonna help with this because she feels the personal responsibility it was her father's auction house it was her business too that sold this painting to this friend of hers who died because of it so if they are responsible in any way for these people's deaths she feels personally responsible to make it right to fix it to stop it to stop anybody else from ever being hurt by this again she just is a good one you know what I mean? And Dean agrees as Sarah walks out and's like, are you coming? Dean points at her and goes, marry that one. <laughs> like, she's she's a good one to have in your life. This is definitely Dean picked a good one for Sam to have a relationship with. It's I still regret that Sam never did keep an ongoing, at least communication with her over the years. And that we won't see her again for eight seasons and we'll only see her long enough to find out she's had a lovely life with somebody else and then to get her killed. So like unfortunate (laughs) that she could have been somebody good for Sam that even if he didn't see her often, it would be somebody, somebody that he still had a personal connection to outside of Dean, which Sam sorely lacks through most of the series. But just knowing that she's out there, I think, or being reminded that she was out there would have been good for him. I, as I was going through my posts on this episode earlier today, I 
don't have an awful lot of posts on this episode. And one of them is completely misfiled. One of the very long posts in the tag for this episode is actually about the previous episode, but I misfiled it. I mistyped the episode number on it. So it got in the wrong tag and I still haven't fixed that. But so just ignore that one. Um, but one of the paint, one of the old posts about this episode was about specifically about them in going back and investigating the crime scene that they were at the night before where the woman was killed in her chair because the it's just so ridiculous the crime scene tape like the body outline in the chair makes it look like a headless body is still sitting in a chair in the chair and it's just like how is this even real? I can't believe that they actually bothered to put the crime scene body outline tape on a chair. Like, I've never see, seen it. It just has always struck me as absolutely ridiculous that, like, the ghost of Evelyn is sitting there watching them do all of this and trying to figure out what's what's up with the painting or whatever. And But they take it off the wall and, and investigate comparing it to the photograph that Sam got from the historian guy. And they notice the mausoleum has replit in the photo behind, in the picture behind the father on the wall is a mausoleum in the current version of this painting and that the razor is visible on the table and it's not in the original. Poor Sarah is learning the nitty gritty details of hunting for ghosts, breaking into mausoleums, seeing how comfortable the two of them are just in these these creepy places surrounded by death and Sarah and Sam waiting outside the county records office while Dean is inside using lies and subterfuge to gain access to records about Isaiah Merchant and what may have happened to him after he died since his body or since his remains were not in the crypt with his wife and their children's ashes. They already lampshaded the creepy doll that belonged to the little girl as having been in the mausoleum behind a pane of glass. Sam pointed out to her it was a tradition at the time that when children died, they were one of their favorite toys was enshrined like that as a memory of the child. So already we're getting bits of information that will be important later even though they're still not getting us quite to the right place that right now they think they still think it's Isaiah merchant who killed his family and then himself slashed his throat with the razor, even though in the painting he keeps staring down at the little girl. He's just glaring at her because he can't speak. He's just trying to convey this information. Don't look at me, look at her. But they think because of what they've read, their assumption is that it's the father, that he's the one who was singled out. He seems the obvious choice to have singled out, especially because his own family singled him out by burying him separately, not cremating him and putting him in the in the family mausoleum. He was the one treated differently for some reason, and that just looks like guilt, I guess. While Dean's in the records office, Sam gets to talk to Sarah and we finally start to get a little bit under the surface of Sam here. When Sarah presses Sam for a reason why they shouldn't pursue a relationship, Sam gives the excuse because he likes her. And she's very confused by this because she's like, yeah, I like you too. Why wouldn't we want to pursue a relationship? And Sam finally 
confesses to her, when people are around me, they get hurt, like physically, because of what he and Dean do for a living, that he can't bring that to anybody he actually likes. He feels cursed. He tells her about that he had a girlfriend and she died and that his mother died too. After Sam's confession here, Sarah's just like, you're scared that people you're close to will get hurt. Sam's like, no, I'm not scared that people I'm close to will get hurt. I'm scared that I couldn't handle losing someone I was close to again. That it's not just his concern for other people, but he doesn't know if he'll be able to handle losing someone again. So he's deliberately keeping himself distanced from people, especially if he likes them, because he knows it would be too all too easy to develop stronger feelings for Sarah here. He knows that it would be dangerous to him, not because he's worried that she'll get hurt or that she'll hurt him, but that he couldn't take it if she was. That regardless of how it would end, he d- he's not sure he could take it. Poor Sarah. When Dean finally comes out and interrupts their conversation, he found he has found where Isaiah Merchant was buried in a pine box that they can dig up and burn the bones. So poor Sarah has to go out to the grave. Well, she doesn't have to, but she chooses to go out to the graveyard to watch Sam and dig- Dean dig a grave and is kind of horrified at how comfortable they are about doing so. They dig up Isaiah, they burn his bones, they bury everything back up again and think everything is fine again, except it's not, of course. Now that they've salted and burned Isaiah's bones, they're hoping that they'll be able to salt and burn the picture and destroy it completely, just in case. Because even Sarah asks, I thought the painting was harmless now, and Sam's just like, Better safe than sorry. We're going to burn the sucker. I mean, obviously, it's a boon to the art world to have this painting destroyed as well because it's awful. (laughs) But just to make sure that the painting is truly no longer haunted, that it is harmless, they're going to burn it. Sarah wants to be in on this as well. So Dean stays in the car and lets Sam and Sarah have some private time together. Like, he's like, yeah, I'm going to stay here. You go make your move. As if this is like some romantic outing for Dean. (laughs) Burning a paint, breaking into a house and burning a painting. Yeah, this candlelit dinner vibes going there, I guess. I don't know. But Dean is trying to be the good brother here in this, this incredibly bizarre situation. But he... He's doing what he can to, to support Sam here because he can tell that Sam is into Sarah and that Sarah is into Sam. And he's doing the best he can. He's being a good brother. And thank goodness he was because, my God, that saves the day here in a minute. Dean tries to set the mood for Sam as they're breaking in by playing the radio in the car. And Sam's just like, what are you doing? Stop it. And so Dean's like trying to help. Poor thing. Sarah and Sam break back into Evelyn's house. They take the painting down, except it's too late. They realize the father now can no longer do anything because they burned his bones. He's been exercised from the painting, freeing the murderous little girl to do whatever she wants now. So as they walk in and they realize that the little girl is now missing from the painting along with the razor, the door blows shut. There you hear the girl, little girl laughing like maniacally even Dean hears it outside in the car and he's looking up at the door like what the hell 
and the door slams shut and we black out to a commercial break in the original version. But good moment of suspense to take a break on. Dean runs up to the door, tries to force it open, but he can't because the ghost has it locked down. I think is this our first ghost lockdown situation? No, we've had one before. It's a thing through the whole series that some supernatural beings just have the power to lock down a place so you can't go in or out. And ghosts are one. Demons can do it. We've seen demons do it. Billy can do it. Like, all kinds of different creatures can do this. But supernatural lockdown is a thing. It happens right now. Dean can't break in. Sarah and Sam are stuck inside. They're searching around for weapons, for anything. They're calling through the door to Dean. Dean's like, are are you safe? Are you okay? What's going on? They know it's the little girl now. And they know that even though she was cremated, she's somehow still able to exist as a ghost. They try and yell through the door at each other. But Dean gives up almost instantly and just calls Sam. He's like, why'd you slam the door? And he's like, it was the little girl. It was the little girl all along. And Dean puts it together. Finally, wasn't the dad looking down at her like maybe he was trying to tell us all along? Yes, the information was there. But because you'd already decided it was something else, you missed the actual lead on the information here. It's like this was the limitation of what the father could do in the medium of the painting. He could change it to the mausoleum to point their way there. He could look down at the girl. He could limit her ability to leave the painting to nighttime, but he couldn't control her completely. And we get Sam looking for salt or iron in the house. And Sarah's like, what for? And Sam explains that it's to repel the ghosts. And he's running from the kitchen. What kind of house doesn't have any salt? Low sodium freaks. (laughs) So like, honestly, though, what kind of house doesn't have any salt? Like, (laughs) how? But anyway, the most hilarious thing to me is that Sam is not prepared to go to the fireplace. There's a very prominent fireplace that we've been looking at this entire time. They've been in in Evelyn's house here where Evelyn was murdered sitting right in front of it. The painting is hanging directly above it. You know what fireplaces have? Fire irons. Like, the the poker, the, the little shovel the tongs to move the logs those are usually made of iron i know because i have a set in my house i'm looking at them right now it's iron (laughs) like why fireplace iron come on guys how long have you been ghost hunters like seriously so as sam and sarah slowly back away from the little girl holding the razor in one hand and her creepy doll in the other hand Sam finally backs into the rack of fire irons and picks up the fireplace poker and swings it at the ghost like god you actually literally had to fall almost fall over it before you (laughs) you realized it was there beautiful Sam Sarah luckily knew that the history of the dolls back then they would make the dolls in the child's image, including using the child's own hair. So the the little girl's hair is still being preserved at the mausoleum. And while Dean races back there, driving right through the gate of the cemetery, Sam and Sarah have to hold off this ghost who is still trying to kill them. 
Sam's pinned to the floor with the, by a desk that the, the ghost throws at him. So Sarah c- comes face to face with the little girl's ghost while Dean breaks into the mausoleum at top speed, pounding on the glass, trying to break through the glass to get the doll. <laughs> he that fails. Dean then takes the butt of his gun and smashes it against the glass and it still doesn't break. And then he's like running back out to his car to get something else to smash the glass with. He looks down at the gun in his hand and he's like, come on, Dean, you know, like (laughs) just shoot the glass. Just you've got a gun in your hand. Just shoot the glass. So he does smashes it, manages to burn the doll and the the ghost just appears right before it's about to attack Sam and Sarah again. They do their best to answer Sarah's questions the next morning. She instructs the courier guys at the warehouse to burn the painting. And she tells them she's serious. Please just go burn it. And they are like, okay, you're crazy lady, but we'll burn it. So the painting has now been destroyed. Even though it was rendered harmless, it's just cursed in its own way at this point. She asks Sam, I guess you're leaving now. And Sam shrugs and is like, yeah, we're we're not staying around. And it was kind of inevitable. I mean, I don't think she had any real hope that he would stay, but maybe just a little bit. Dean excuses himself to go wait in the car. He was going to stand there and just be Sam's excuse if he didn't want to do anything with Sarah. But he walked away. He let Sam take control of the situation excusing himself to the car and giving Sam as much time as he needed to say goodbye to Sarah or to not say goodbye to her, but to choose to let a relationship grow between them. And Sam just chooses not. Although, interestingly enough, I will have another comment about that in a minute, but we're going to get through the end of this episode first. Sarah says, maybe you're not cursed and maybe you'll come back and see me. And Sam says, I will. The music cue would indicate that they both know that it's just something to say and that he doesn't truly mean it. He walks out to the car and just walks away. Dean is about to get into the car and he turns around. He hears a knocking as Sarah's leaning. We're seeing Sarah inside the building leaning against the door. Behind her, there's a knocking. Dean turns around. Sarah's like, what? Sam had gone back. I don't know what his intent was, but he kisses her. And Dean is just like, yeah, that's my boy. Finally, finally got something for himself here. Dean finally got for Sam what he'd been trying to get for Sam since the opening shot of the two of them in this episode. Trying to give Sam something good to hold on to for a moment here. Like, Okay, yeah, Sam didn't want to hook up with random ladies at the at the bar that Dean was spent the night with. That Sarah was something more than that to Sam. Dean finally succeeded in helping Sam to have that and to see that and to let go of a little bit of his pain, a little bit of his loss, and maybe regain a little bit of his ability to just feel something for his fellow human human beings more than what he'd locked himself away in, like Sarah described herself doing after her mother's death. Sam has been locking himself away from a relationship with anyone since Jess died. 
he's been just keeping everybody at arm's length and even including Dean to an extent. He's distanced himself because he can't take that. He can't let himself risk feeling that pain of loss again. And that's going to be a big thing for Sam through the entire series is not willing to risk feeling that loss again. He'll do anything he can. I mean, it'll motivate him all through season three to stop Dean from dying. He can't take that pain of loss again. Not the loss of his mother, the loss of his father, the loss of Dean. He can't take any more loss. And it's only the beginning for these guys. This is season one. They're going to suffer loss after loss for 15 years. So welcome to the show. (laughs) But we finally cracked into Sam at least a tiny bit here. We're starting to see that, yeah, he's not just this revenge-driven guy who just wants out of the hunting life. He actually has some emotional depth. And it took until episode 19 to really begin to see it, which is unfortunate for Sam, but... We've seen a little bit of his, the supernatural stuff that affects him, but he's been largely, we learned earlier, you know, he was largely sheltered from the sort of life that Dean had lived. And we kept seeing the story through Dean's lens and we kept, and we still did in this episode. I mean, the whole thing started and ended with Dean. So like we saw it through Dean's eyes, what happened to Sam in this episode and through Dean's perspective on the fact that it was Dean motivating Sam to continue talking to Sarah through the entire episode anyway. So we understand Dean's motives for that because we already understand Dean, but now we finally do have a bit of understanding about Sam and his fears and what he cares about and his self-preservation instinct that Sarah described for us. So finally, Finally, we have a little bit of meat for Sam's bones here, and we can begin fleshing him out as a character, other than just in relation to Dean. So we finally have some of his internal dialogue and motive and who he is as a person, outside of how Dean sees him and Dean's responsibility for him. That one final bit of information I I promised to give you at the end of the episode is that We do not have a full script for this episode, but we do have Sarah Blake's casting sides, which gives us a little bit of a scene that was never filmed and was never, we don't know what stage it was cut from the script during, but it was after casting. But it's obviously there were some substantial changes between the two pages of Sarah's casting sides that we have here page 44 and 45 of the original script right to the end of the episode so the final scenes here play off completely differently just the dialogue between her and Sam is very different Sarah's motivations in the episode were very different in this in the version that aired she admitted she was a terrible artist and That's why she quit art school and, you know, was invested in becoming a bigger part of her father's business rather than trying to make it in art herself. But this is like they had some big conversation about her art career as an artist and how she wanted to move back to New York. And it's just like none of that was in the episode. Her being into palm reading is commented on here and none of that's in the episode either so clearly this is a very different version of the script even in casting than what aired so interesting that 
the whole final scene with them, they don't kiss when they drive away. Sam and Dean drive away from the auction house. Dean is like, we can hang out for a couple more days. And Sam's like, what's the point? I just have to leave again. But you'd be leaving with something. And Sam says to Dean, I got to find my own way. Then we see an interesting montage. The interior of the auction house, Sarah working on a canvas, painting. The bell rings. She goes to open the door to find Sam standing there. Without a word, they fly into each other's arms, kissing. So it falls at a slightly different place, but that's the scene we saw. It was immediately after he left, before he even got in the car. It wasn't like days later or something like Sam stole a car and drove back there on his own or something. At the same time, Dean supposedly pulls out the cocktail napkin he got in the teaser and calls the number written on it like he's going to, if Sam's hooking up with Sarah, Dean's going to hook up with some random woman from the bar. And then the final scene is lit by candles. Sam and Sarah are in bed making love. So there was supposed, this was supposed to have originally been, it was originally written as Sam's first intimate scene with a woman in the series, which we know won't happen for another entire season, but that was how it was originally written. And it, it's described as Sam finally letting go of his grief, at least for a while. And yeah, he doesn't really. I mean, he gets a kiss out of it. But Sam is already being set up to be a different type of character than Dean. They're not going to have the parallels between them exist, but they're going to be different. And it's not going to be about them hooking up with random women at the same time. But that was the original end of the episode from the script that was the casting sides for Sarah Blake. So I don't know why that scene was cut and changed. I don't know why the basic entire plot of the episode and Sarah's entire role in the episode changed so much. But it was like leaving it, the the original way it was written, left it open for her to maybe appear again. And I think they decided that that this was going to be a one-off situation and that she wouldn't appear again. And of course she didn't again until the end of season eight. So sad. I mean, it could have been something big for Sam. It could have been an anchor point for him in the world. And I guess they didn't want to give Sam that they didn't want the Winchesters to have any sort of connections like this. And I know that that was a thing for Kripke that he liked to keep them entirely cut off like even that's why he burned the roadhouse down in season two he's like they're they're getting too comfortable here he didn't even like them having bobby's house to go to he didn't like them having connections but at least at bobby's house they were still isolated to only bobby it wasn't like oh there's all kinds of other random hunters that come through here bobby may have them on speed dial but They're not like swinging by the place and they're not going to have to confront them. And we're not going to have to see the wider hunter network society. Kripke didn't like them to have these connections and deliberately wrote connections like this out. So I can see why he would have changed it from the script from a one and done writer on the series that this would have been changed substantially so that Sam didn't really have this connection with Sarah at least not going forward past this episode, which is just heartbreaking. But I mean, I get it. I get it. I get why he did it. But man, 
it breaks my heart that it's going to take so long and that Sam will never actually get this sort of respite, this sort of relationship with somebody that isn't taken away from him for one reason or another. And it hurts. Missing information, bits that just slightly missing pieces of the bigger puzzle that you can't really see the whole big puzzle without. And that's part of the key of this episode. You can't see the whole puzzle because there's bits missing. You're not getting all the clues. You don't have all the information. You think you understand and you really don't. And that's sort of sums up this episode tidily. So finally get a little bit of Sam's perspective. Finally get a little bit of a less intense focus on Dean so that we can just see him supporting Sam in something rather than the burden of the emotional roller coaster of the this the show riding only on Dean's shoulders. Break between punch John Winchester in the face last week and punch John Winchester in the face next week. So this was a nice little respite for all of us because like I said, next week we will all want to punch John Winchester in the face again. I guess this is going to be season two of our Punch John Winchester in the Face Club where we can upgrade to kicking him in the nuts. Well, he will be there in person this time. So, you know, he won't just be a memory or a a ghost in the room, you know. So we'll see what we can do with him in person next week for season one, episode 20, Dead Man's Blood. Ba-ba-ba. Where we first learn about the cults and vampires and finally moving away from just ghost stories and urban legends and moving into the meatier bits of the monsters of this show. Substantial things that will hang over us for years to come. Huzzah. Anyway, in the meantime, you can always find me on Tumblr at MittensMorgul or at SPNGeorge, or you can email me at MittensMorgul at Gmail. Contact me through either of those channels, and I will provide a link to our Discord server where we talk quite frequently about the episode. We spent quite a bit of time last week talking about Gish, just the fun we were having, and everybody's welcome to join us there. Until next week, take care of yourselves, and I finally just remembered something about this episode that actually fits in an outro segment, and kind of fitting I didn't remember to record it until we got to the outro segment so funny enough when Sam and Dean are back at the woman's house examining the painting with Sarah comparing it to this the copy of the photo they got from the historian guy Dean is looking at the photo and notices the razor is in a different position in between the the copy in his hand and the actual painting that they're looking at and he means to say Sam check it out except you can very clearly hear him say Jared check it out and you go to the trans the transcript on the super wiki and it does say Sam so the subtitles said Sam because the script provided to who uh, the company that does the subtitles said Sam so that's what they used it's their judgment on whether to use the actual script or the actual words they hear they used the script Sam even though Jer- Jensen clearly says 
Jared in that shot. And for some reason, the editors didn't catch it. The, I guess they didn't even bother to change it on the DVD on, on the Blu-ray that I have. It's very, very clearly Jared. So enjoy going back and rewinding and finding that scene. <laughs> have a great one.